0: Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world. You're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan.
1: Miguel, good to have you on the show. How are you doing today?
0: Great, Hadi. Thanks so much for having me here.
1: Thank you for stopping by. I love what you guys are doing. But before we start, uh, I'll give a quick introduction for our listeners. My guest today is Miguel Fernandez-Laria, the CEO and co-founder of New York-based CapChase, a funding platform that offers founders non-dilutive financing alternative. You guys have a variety of tools on your platform to give founders uh, these financing tools Two of your products uh, on your landing page is Capchase Grow, which enables recurring revenue companies to access future capital upfront, and then you have Capchase Pay, which is a buy now pay later solution for B2B SaaS. And you've raised today around 120 million in equity and 950 million in debt uh, from notable investors like QED, Thumbvest, Nature, and Task Ventures as well. So. Miguel, take us back to the Founding Aha moment. How did it all start?
0: Yeah, so it all started a little bit before. I was working at Capsys before we started Capsys because I was running the sales and customer success teams at a SaaS company. And what happened is that in every single deal when we were about to close, all our customers wanted to pay monthly or quarterly or late. And we as a company... As a VC-backed company, you know, we needed the cash up front because we needed to recover our costs as quickly as possible so that we would not run out of cash. So the only tool we had back then to get all the cash up front was to give a discount. And discounts are terrible for a few reasons, you know. but mostly they cut your annual contract values, they cut your lifetime value, they cut your gross margin, and we would just do it even though it was bad because we would be able to get the cash up front because that was super important. Then what happened is that when we went to business school, we were looking into different ideas. And what we saw is that if you're a SaaS company, you know, like at some point you start to become pretty predictable. right? Like You understand what your CAC is. You understand what your CAC payback is. You understand your lifetime value. You understand everything. right? And At the same time, you're still facing that same cash gap that we faced in our SaaS company, which means that you have all these upfront costs. And then given that you get paid back over time, it takes you a while to start making money on every single customer. So we said, hey, look, if it's predictable and there's this cash gap, is there any way in which we can predict future cash flows and give access to them today so that you know such companies can fund themselves without needing any external capital uh, or in combination with VC money? Uh, yeah. And yeah, the answer is that yes. We started to talk to a bunch of founders. They're really excited about the idea. And yeah, we started working with them and yeah, the rest is history. We went to market in the summer of 2020. And since then, we've grown to be the largest and, and the best non-alegative financing provider for SaaS companies, both in North America and Europe.
1: I mean, you're, you're spot on as the macroeconomic environment has become uncertain. And a lot of the VC funding has slowed. A lot of founders are increasingly looking for financing to diversify their funding and future-proof their growth. We have seen multiple companies surface in, in the past few years doing what you're doing. How do you stand out today? What's your unique selling proposition?
0: Yeah, so I think that it is a few things. One is the access to a platform that we provide. So when a customer is considering any kind of source of fund versus captives, one difference is that we're offering a platform that has multiple products, right? So we're offering them the revenue-based financing product. We're offering them the buy-and-pay-later We're offering them, you know, like additional products to handle the revenue better and to improve the cash flows. Um, It's a variety of products that are sometimes financing, sometimes more like software and payments related. The second is that we are very, very cost efficient and we are cheaper, you know, per dollar uh, drawn than pretty much anything else in the market. And the reason being is that we've had a very, very good credit performance and that's why cost of capital is lower. Basically, you know, like if a funder is weighing whether to take equity or debt, debt is usually always cheaper. And when they're looking at debt, they can look at venture debt or capchase. Venture debts typically expect the founders to draw all the money at once. So then you're gonna be paying interest for a lot of money, even if you're using it or not, for a long period of time. With cap chase, you're taking draws only when you need it and only when you can put your money to work, usually to finance Customer acquisition, so to spend in marketing, spending in sales, and so on. And then you're paying it back as your customers pay you back. You know, as the customer that you've signed pay you back. So then it is much more aligned with those repayments. It is shorter short-term in nature. So you pay less dollars for the outstanding amount. And then also, yeah, you only pay what you use. So you have to draw a bunch of money and have that fit in the bank, but costing you money.
1: So there's a lot of listeners that are founders today looking for funding. And they could be hearing you now who qualifies for your product
0: yeah you have to have about 100k of error at least to qualify for grow and if you're selling i mean if you want to use the buy now pay little product which kind of like solves the same pain but in a different way then i think the the companies there's no eligibility minimums but it works best when the average annual contract ticket that you're selling is above $10,000.
1: Which countries are you currently operating in?
0: Yeah, we're based in New York and we operate in North America, so the US and Canada, and then the UK, Benelux, Nordics, and Spain. So all in all about 11 countries.
1: Amazing, amazing. That's uh, very helpful. So if we look today at when you started, the question is, which target audience do you go after? How did you validate that this is the type of ideal customer profile that would make sense day one. And how did that change over the next few funding rounds?
0: Yeah, so when we started, we were pretty much talking to anybody that would listen. We were just like, we, we had the hypothesis that this would work really well for SaaS because we knew it from our past. And then we started talking to many SaaS companies at different stages, you know, from, all the way from Seed to Series C. And those SaaS companies were saying to anybody to enterprise or to mid-market or to smbs so then we started to get some very positive responses and that's how we honed in on who was going to be the actual ideal customer profile and then we narrowed it down to companies between seed to series b so anything less than 20 million ARR, you know like we had contracts that were paid monthly or quarterly or biannually or annually or whatever but yeah they had to be based in our eligible geographies and then another discovery that we did, as we were talking to different executives in those companies, is that for growth, for a growth product, the only buyer personas that we should be interested in and, and focusing on were the CEO and the person running finance. Everybody else was like too far removed from the problem. With CapT Pay, given that it's financing at the point of sale for your buyer, so that if you're selling a large contract, And your buyer wants to pay monthly, but you want to get the cash up front, you can use captist pay for that. So vendors get the cash up front and the buyer gets financing to pay for the SaaS product. In that case, it helps the capTe's pay product helps to close a deal. Right? So then the person most interested in this is the head of sales or the CRO. And that's also something that we've discovered, you know, over time
1: amazing so you have a very interesting framework because at one place you need to get money to lend it out essentially to the companies out there who did you convince first did you convince the lender or the equity and debt holders or the customers and how did you manage to basically bring in the money and then lend it out and then convince the lenders that their return is higher than what's out there in the market
0: yeah yeah yeah. good question we focus on getting the customers first we still do it with any single product that we do because you know you can have the perfect product the perfect structure have everything in place but if your customer doesn't want it it doesn't really matter so we focused on getting the customers first and in fact the first loan that we did was twenty-five thousand dollars. so we covered that ourselves with our like initial funds and then we raised around at the same time pretty much you know like a week later we raised around. million a seed round, and then we raised some debt from high-net-worth individuals and from family offices, another $5 million. Then we had $10 million to lend, pretty much. So we had like four months of ability to lend because we were deploying quickly and growing really, really, really fast. And in those four months, we closed a credit facility of $50 million to be able to scale without using our equity, which would have been extremely expensive.
1: What was your early acquisition strategy to get those companies to adopt your financing? Any guerrilla tactics, any frameworks that you've used?
0: Yeah, it was all purely like founder-led sales for the first few months until we hired our first salesperson. So yeah, what we did is, you know, we knew that we had such crazy product market fit that if we talked to founders and we talked to enough finance people, we would sell and grow. So one thing that really helped was pr as well so basically what we did is we did two things one is we scraped PitchBook and we downloaded a bunch of you know like companies that were between seed to series b stage in our key market so we were in boston at the time in business school so in boston in new york in san francisco london madrid and so on and then in PitchBook, you also have the ceo's email and they sometimes they had a finance email so then we started to text them uh, to talk a little bit about what we're doing and asking for a call for advice and, you know, like, to address it. And then when we raised a seed round, we actually were featured in TechCrunch. So that really helped also to get more eyeballs on the company. And the last thing we did that was really cool was we created a calculator that we put in our website that would calculate how much runway the customers had, you know, with a few data points, and also how much runway they could get if they were to use Captase Grow. And that also generated a ton of traffic, a ton of submissions, and also helped us, gave us a lot of ammunition to drive conversations with those customers. So yeah, like it was a combination of those. And then, you know, once we had our first salesperson, then it was more about creating a predictable sales process a Playbook and so on.
1: If you were to give our listeners a couple of advice on how can you increase your conversion rate in the early days when you're cold emailing or cold
0: outreaching companies,
1: is there any th- specific things that worked for you that you used later in the sales playbook?
0: I think it's like focusing on the problem. Nobody cares about your solution unless you make it seem very clear what the problem is. So a lot of emails and a lot of cold outreach is focused on the solution. And then that basically it signals a few things. It signals one, that you don't really care about the customer. You're just trying to find a hole for your peg. You know, like, it's harder. And then also, it puts a lot of cognitive load on the buyer of the product to understand, hey, like, do I have a problem for this solution or not? So, in the contrary, you got to focus much more on the problem. And then once the problem is recognized by everybody and it resonates, then you can focus on the solution. Sometimes, you know, like, you can describe your product not your product, but actually like the solution at a very high level and just ask for a CTA, you know, where you can explain more as opposed to, you know, like trying to put all the effort in describing your solution in in a short amount of time.
1: Makes a lot of sense. If you were to start from scratch today and you had a limited amount of funding, where would you invest this to acquire your customers?
0: I would try to not spend any money to acquire customers at the beginning. I think you have to do things that don't scale and things that scale usually cost a lot of money, right? So things like paid acquisition, that costs a lot of money. So I would focus on, again, like trying to find customers through email, through LinkedIn, through listening, you know, to what they're doing, understanding their pains, but doing it like very, very founder-led, you know? So because you know the product more than anybody, like you're the founder, so you have like more gravitas to get a call with somebody. And then once you have like eight or 10 customers, and you're solving pains, you're solving the same pains for all of them, and you start to understand what are the pains that resonate the most, you know, and what is the impact if those pains are not solved. Then you can start to scale a little bit more, you know, with maybe like LinkedIn email ads, some banners or some keywords and so on, but those cost a lot of money. So actually, you know, like another thing that you can do with less money, although it's like a little bit like, let's say like, Slower burn is really talk about the pains, really talk about the impact and write about it and try to get featured in press, get featured, hack your your SEO ratings and so on so that people find you. Just, you know, like you start acquiring leads that don't cost you a lot of money and with evergreen content. That also sometimes really, really helps and and is very cost effective. And, And you see, I'm sure you've heard about people building audiences before building products, and a little bit is. Is related to this, you know, where you're talking about a problem that people are searching for, and then, you know, you can offer them a solution once they become acquainted with you.
1: You know, growing a startup is non-linear. It's not always up. It's not always down. There's ups, it's ups and downs. Is there a crucible moment in your journey that you could share with us that could have altered the progress of CAPTCHAs in different ways?
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure, similar to probably like a bunch of companies out there, the, when the tech downturn started in it like March 2022, yeah, March 2022 maybe a little bit earlier, we had made the decision three months before, you know, looking at the underlying data that we had from customers that we needed to tighten our credit policies, right? So then for like three or four months, it seemed like we were the dumbest in the room, because some of our competitors were growing pretty fast and, like, boasting how much money they were deploying and things like that. I remember having meetings, having board meetings where the board was like, hey, guys, like, your competitors are growing faster than you guys are. And we're like, well, I don't know, like, we're not seeing them in so many of the good deals, so I don't know if, like, they are seeing good deals that we are not seeing, or they're actually, you know, just, like, growing due to, like, deploying in bad deals. What happened is that Yeah, in March, June, July, you know, like as the market got progressively worse, our competitors started to die, but we were still having very, very stellar performance, you know, and very, very solid credit performance. So then, now, one year later, one year and a half later, 18 months later, man, sounds sounds like like a long time ago, but there's virtually no competitors. Everybody died or pivoted or had to get recapped or is doing something else, and we're still you know, like, doing this much better than ever, and, like, we're the leaders in this space. So that was a moment where if we had chosen growth at all costs. We have probably made decisions that would have costed us a company.
1: Very interesting. Thank you for sharing this moment uh, with us. How did your leadership style change when you were raising your series, let's say, seed round and your latest round? How did your relationship with money now differ?
0: It's true that, like, We've always been very scrappy and trying to be very lean, but inevitably having access to a bunch of money in the bank just like makes you make decisions that are not optimized, you know, because you can just throw money at people, you know, or like throw money at problems to solve them, you know, and they get solved, yeah, but like they get solved suboptimally and also in a very expensive way. So that was a, a big change personally, like my leadership style. I think that I mean it's still evolving, right? But it's mostly going from working in the business you know in, in every detail to working on the business and trying to like focus more on direction of the company on finding the right people for the team and also on unblocking certain things that are going on in the company right or like dependencies or you know like conflicts in the company so um, you need to grow to get used to that because it is different and personally you know when before Capsys, a lot of my Satisfaction with my work depending on how much, how many things I got done and how much stuff I did. And now that's way different. You know, like if you're spending, you know, two hours thinking about something, then maybe it's, you know, like before I would consider that I had wasted two hours. But now, you know, maybe it's like, hey, like if you get one or two insights, I like move the needle on a couple of things in those two hours, then you actually worked. You've done a big impact. So it just changes how you do things and how you approach work.
1: What is the principle that you live by that has helped you in your journey?
0: So I would say two. They're related. But basically it's like do the hard things as often as you can in life generally so that when you actually face hard things, they're not that hard. So I do a lot of sports. I wake up early. I do boxing. I do a bunch of stuff so that I get used to doing hard things that then, you know, like when hard things actually hit you, they're not that hard. And then the other one would be that it usually never gets easier you just go faster so you know i remember complaining a couple of weeks ago like oh my god like the last 18 months every day has been just a little bit harder it never gets easier but in reality you look at the last 18 months and every day we've done a little bit more and a little bit less and not even the same right like it's always more and more so basically it's like yeah when you get good at something it never becomes easy you just do it more or just go faster, so just get used to it.
1: Thank you for sharing these uh, two principles. You know, not everything on the internet that you read is correct, so based on my research, you appear to have dropped out of Harvard Business School. If that's true, can you walk us through the thought process and how did you navigate that decision?
0: Yeah, no, no, it, <laughs> it is true. It was a simple decision, and i explained explain why. First of all, like, I'm the biggest fan of, of Harvard Business School that you will ever find on the planet, right? Like, it changed my life forever. I remember the day that I got in, like, my legs were shaking. I just couldn't believe it, right? And then when I went there, I was super lucky because I met my co-founder, and then we were really, you know, researching and had the time to and the access to people to validate ideas and also, you know, to learn more about what we're trying to do. And then what happened is that when COVID hit, we had a ton of time on our hands. Everything was remote, and there was, like, a lot of the experience of the MBA wasn't happening. So we had a lot of time to work and then things started to really take off. And then given that all the learning was remote, it was just e- easier to justify to ourselves that we we're multitasking and we we're doing the company and business school at the same time. And then what we saw is that catch was really taking off and it was a train that we would not be able to miss. At the same time, HVS, if you drop out, they let you come back whenever you want, for, I think for like the next five or 10 years. So then it became very easy to make the decision then. I remember telling my mom, like, hey, you know, like, we're going to go to business school. I'm from Spain, right? So, like, I'm, I'm an immigrant founder in, in the U.S. And HBS is, like, it's like the paradise or, like, a golden passport, right? In, in all of places, to be honest. It was harder hard to justify it to others than it was to myself. But I think it was the right decision. And, and yeah, like, i don't regret it. Maybe I'll go back at some point. As
1: long as it's a door do decision, it's good. It's not a one-way yeah. door. One last question, what's next for CapChase?
0: So what we're doing at CapChase is we're unifying the whole revenue life cycle of a SaaS company. We wanna help SaaS companies to grow faster, right? And basically you have two ways to grow faster. One is you get more money, which we've already been solving that you know, with, with CapChase Grow. Or the other way is to have frictionless revenue. you know, So to close more revenue and grow more revenue. And that's what we're doing with CapChase Pay and with other upcoming products. So our goal, you know, let's say over the next like 18 to 24 months is to, have to continue to build up a platform so that companies can close, fund, and fulfill every single SaaS transaction. And yeah, and like automate a bunch of processes that add zero value are necessary to get cash through the door and to finance your, your business. I mean, cash coming from your customers and finance your business.
1: Amazing. Thank you, Miguel, for stopping by. This was an amazing episode. How can people reach you?
0: Yeah, feel free to reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Miguel Fernandez. I do search for Miguel Captchase. You'll find me. And yeah, happy to help in in any way. Um, I know that starting a company is is really hard and any kind of advice usually goes a long way. So happy to chat.
1: Thank you, Miguel. We wish you the best of luck. Have a great day.
0: Thanks so much, Harry. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers.